Johnny Summers, I am tired of riding in the saddle. I've been out on the old dusty trail for far too long, and I need myself a beer. Where should I go? You should definitely rest your hands from polishing an old saddle and grab an ice cold beer at the handlebar right here in Chico. They've got a killer happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. You're going to get some money off craft beers. You're going to get half off bottles of wine. They have a dog and child friendly patio, bunch of TVs, good food, everything you could ask for in a rest stop after a long, dusty trail. That's exactly right. Again, that's the handlebar right here in Chico, California, located at 2070 East 20th Street. Go check them out. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film. My name is Max Minardi. My name's Johnny Summers. Thanks for joining us once again. This week on the show, we have our review of The Power of the Dog, the latest film from director Jane Campion, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, and Cody Smith-McPhee. Both of our beers this week come to us from The Brewing Project in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and they're both fruited sours from their Puff Tart series. If you're listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, you unfortunately won't be hearing our episode in its entirety. You're only going to get the first beer review and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of The Power of the Dog. Yeah, but have no fear. To hear the entire conversation, which includes spoilers for The Power of the Dog, our review of a second beer from that Puff Tart series, and the fan favorite Hot and Bothered, plus uh, more than 200 other episodes of this show, you can head on over to any of the following places. Your Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, etc. New episodes drop every Friday at 10 a.m. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating mm-hmm. and or review wherever you're listening. It helps other people discover this show. Yeah, you can follow us on social media if that's your thing. We're on Instagram, obviously, uh, Letterboxd if you're a film nerd, Untapped if you're a beer nerd, beer nerd. Uh, all of them if you're just nerds in general. You can find us at Fresh Hop Cinema or just head to our website, freshhopcinema.com. Indeed. Indeed. Or you can send us an email at fhccast at gmail.com. If you want to give a long-winded response, love us, hate us, somewhere in between, whatever, we want to hear from you. If you want to support us on Patreon, that would be really cool. That is a way that you, the listener, can help this show keep happening. For as little as $1 per episode, you're going to get access to bonus beer and film reviews, all kinds of fun stuff. We do top five lists of random stuff. Our Beer education series has been going well. Our movie education series has been going well. There is tons and tons of extra content. If you can't get enough of us, definitely check it out. We also have patron-exclusive events. Uh, so if you literally want to be a part of the Cool Kids Club, mm-hmm. you should consider joining. So check that out. FHCcast at gmail.com is our email. But I don't know why I said that. Well played. But our Patreon is patreon.com slash FHC, I think. Good enough. I don't know. Google it. With all that housekeeping out of the way, sir, let's get into beers. These are ones, this week, we've actually got the chance to pick these out together. It was actually fun beer shopping together with you. We haven't done that in, um, I don't I don't know, what do you, I mean, it's been months and months, I'm sure. It's been a long time. I honestly don't remember the last time we got to go to a store together and shop. Uh, so it was really fun getting to just pick out what we thought was cool. I mean, I always pick out stuff that I'm stoked on drinking, but I'm doing dry January, so I'm just going to be sipping stuff. So it was really a good time to go shopping together. That way you got to have more of a heavy hand and like, what are you stoked to drink, Max? Totally. Let's let's imbibe some of your fantasies. And here we are. We're drinking 
the project brewing company out of what did we say? Au pair. Uh, no. you, I would say you Claire, but we need to get this. It's EAU Claire in Wisconsin. And I'm sure uh, if, if this reaches any of their ears, we'll get corrected pretty quick on, on however it's actually pronounced. But for now, I would Wisconsin. guess all Claire. Yeah, you're probably right. All Claire. Um, all Claire, Wisconsin, the project brewing. This is the straw, 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 yeah. puff tart. It is a sour ale with milk sugar. Dang it. Yep. Uh, strawberry, rhubarb, cinnamon, and marshmallow flavoring. It's 5.1% alcohol. And if we didn't catch it before, it is a fruited sour. So this is a style that we've dabbled in a little bit on the show. We've never showcased two in one episode, so Mm -hmm. this is kind of breaking ground. So I am super interested to see uh, what we think of this. There's definitely a brewery up there by the name of New Glarus that we are very familiar with that makes some delicious, some might say fruited sours. Some might. I am uh, really curious about these guys. So, Max, have you had a chance to open this up, pour Dude, it, yeah. smell it, drink it? I've just poured mine. I also want to just, just in case there are any new listeners, I can't let a little a blanket statement for the podcast like, uh-oh, or gross, or whatever you said when you said milk sugar. I love milk sugar. I would say you probably do, too. But for anybody that doesn't know, uh, you are lactose intolerant. So we've chosen, I think, a pretty good month to do this when you're not actually drinking a ton. So if we have two beers that have lactose... It's probably a good month that you're just drinking sips anyways, but you have taken your your life-saving limitless pills, I believe. I have. I have superpowers now, okay, and they involve not being sick in my tum-tum. That's so, great, man. Yeah. Just had my first sip. Immense strawberry hard candy. That's oh, okay. The first, first impression I get is the classic traditional red foil wrapper with green on the top and your grandma's candy dish. I know exactly how it sounds, just like opening that candy. The crinkle. It's delicious. It's mm-hmm. delightful. Uh, definitely harkens back to that. I'm not super familiar with the taste profile of rhubarb. Very bitter. I, it's very bitter. So uh, I'm not getting any bitterness from the rhubarb, which is good. Maybe, maybe not bitter. That... Maybe it's it's tart. It, the rhubarb is like really a tart sort of sour kind of taste. Okay. That would make sense then because it is like it, it's definitely has notes of a fresh, overripe, just super juicy, squishy strawberry. Mm with a little bit of tang on the finish, but it is definitely more sweet than tangy. I'd say it's like 75% to 80% sweet to like 20% tang. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, a lager would be zero tang. It's It's got a nice level of, of tart, but I wouldn't definitely not qualify this as a sour just because it is more sweet. It's it's a tart beer for sure, uh, but I, I like it. I think it's really immensely smoothie-esque, very yes. blended triple berry jamba juice type thing happening. Uh, I really need to maybe get some rhubarb because that is an adjunct that I'm not familiar with at all. I know rhubarb pie is yeah. a thing. Yeah. It's um, so so rhubarb is and I'm looking I feel very vindicated because these are sort of the way they describe this is the the process I just went through. But this there's a website called chefspencil.com that I think has a pretty good description. It says, uh, with a crunchy bite, when raw, rhubarb tastes rather sour, although a better term to describe it would be tart. It's sour and tangy. Uh, it's got a combination of citrusy, sweet fruit sourness of limes and lemons. It's got like a puckery taste that resembles the effect of green, unripe apples, prunes, or grapes. Which I think it's about okay. right. Okay. Yeah. And so what that does is it mingles with that just juicy, voluptuous strawberry flavor yeah. and kind of brightens it up. It adds some some punch to it and mm-hmm. really brings out the sweetness. You know, it's that old principle where like if you want to make something sweet, you add acid. It's just weird yeah. the way that flavors work. But adding that tartness almost makes the strawberry sweetness enhanced, which which I like. 
it's boggling my mind that this this five per five percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know light lager territory. I'm just wondering what the caloric difference is sure. between oh like a lager and and this because. I feel like this might have maybe one or two more carbohydrates. What, what would you say? Yeah. Well, the other thing is like you're going to really start seeing some differences in the sugar content and something like this because it is so sweet. <laughs> and I, I think it's yeah. going to be an interesting counterpoint when we do our second beer later in the show, which is considerably higher in alcohol. The The thing that I wasn't expecting was such a full-bodied beer for 5.1%, but I'm really I'm really enjoying it. I don't know if I've said that yet. I've, I've had my first uh, taste or two, and I love sort of that counterbalance of sweetness and tartness that strawberry rhubarb gives you. Like if I see a strawberry rhubarb pie – all day. I think it's awesome. Um, I the, the one thing that is advertised on this can that I'm not getting quite as much is the cinnamon. I think it's probably a little bit blanketed by some of the sweeter notes and the vanilla especially. But it's it's really good, man. I dig this a lot. It's much thicker than I expected, which I don't know. I, I've had one of the beers from this series before um, many months ago, and I think it might be the one we're doing uh, second on the show. And the the mouthfeel was, was understandably in that case very thick because it was such a high ABV. And I for some reason I thought this would drink more like a um, yeah, I don't know, like a lighter fruited sour, like almost like a lambic or something. And it's, it's definitely not. Yeah. I was anticipating kind of like a Berliner yeah. type mouth drinking experience, but no, it's, it is definitely heavy. I mean, the word smoothie gets thrown around yeah. a zillion times a day in the beer game now, but I mean, it has kind of that texture and I love the aftertaste of strawberries. Like it really does taste like I just ate ripe strawberries from the farmer's yes. market. That's pretty cool. Uh, so very true to the fruit does not taste artificial at all, which I was worried about anything this heavily yeah. fruited. You always hope that it doesn't just taste like, you know, like if you have something that's super cherry forward in a beer, it can be, it can go medicinal if they yeah. use the wrong artificial flavor or too much or too little. So, I mean, it's a dangerous game to play with, with people's mouths. You're really, sure. you're really playing with mouth fire. I'm, I'm willing to bet that the strawberries in here are legit strawberries and the rhubarb specifically because they point out on this description on their can. The only thing that says flavoring is marshmallow flavoring. Um, and everything else just says milk, sugar, strawberry, rhubarb, cinnamon. So I'm guessing all of that went into the beer itself. So what you're saying is by drinking this, I am getting a daily, daily dose serving of fruit. Of fruit. <laughs> yeah, and marshmallow, maybe. Totally, which is, you know, essential to a good fruit salad. Base of the pyramid, 100%. Yeah, it's fine. Just drink three of these. You'll you'll never need to eat vegetables again, am I yeah. right? So, so part of us picking this out, at least me, because I think I might have been the one that suggested this. We talked about a couple options, some that we're going to be doing next week, and I think we got some pretty good beers. Um, but I believe this one caught my eye. It's a very eye-grabbing kind of can. If I didn't see it right away, I'm sure you would have. Um, it's, it's a really fun, like there's just little cartoon strawberries and rhubarbs, rhubarb leaves, uh, and cinnamon sticks all around this big sort of, how would you describe the word puff? The, the, the lettering they've chosen there. What is that? Uh, the font is very marshmallow-esque. Oh, that's like smart. a very, yeah. very stay puff marshmallow vibe. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it grabbed my attention for sure. I was going to ask you if there's anything you dislike about this. It is a 16 ounce can, which is maybe tipping my hand a little bit to what I'm going to complain about slightly. Yeah, um, it is a lot. It's definitely a beer for sharing. Mm-hmm. A 16 ounce can of this, you really have to be a fan of this style. But if you are, you're going to love it. If you are not, you're going to need to share it. Uh, definitely. Obviously, by default, I have to say milk sugar is a big negative for sure, me. Sure. Uh, but if I could have it, I wouldn't say that it is a negative in this beer. Uh, I don't think there's a lot negative about it. I mean, it is overly sweet for like just an average after work Mm -hmm. beer so you really have to know what you're getting into but for what it is and for execution on what it's 
trying to do and is it as advertised i think yes i think it's it's really nice it's super unique and i love the packaging and the liquid as a whole this is a, a really solid beer yeah i agree there's not too many flavors in here that i'm not enjoying for me it, it's just probably the sweetness that is going to get you know a bit a bit cloying for me i've poured about half of it into a glass and of that i've drank about half so i've maybe had four ounces of this and i'm getting to the point where i'm like all right i get it that might give me a shit like if you had a few of these I think you'd start getting into the realm of what it's like to drink really sugary cocktails all night and, yeah. and just sort of the, 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 the ripeness for, yeah, the ripeness for like a, a headache the next day is just yeah. it's right there. And then that's, I don't know, it's good for tasting, but I, I agree with you. Very, very shareable, this one. Yeah, I think if I drank more than two cans of this, I would actually get the hangover headache before I actually was felt intoxicated yeah. at all. Oh, okay, yeah. Because it's 5%, you know, it's it's not gonna you know get you intoxicated very quickly no it is definitely super sessionable but should you yeah fair question so 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 are candy bars yeah i guess that's true huh <laughs> you could eat a lot of candy bars um, they're very sessionable all right you ready to give straw barb uh, a rating straw barb yeah uh, i like it i name. like the packaging i think it's a nice clean look i love the aesthetics and i love the taste Excellent beer for sharing. This is a 7.5 for me. For me, it is a 7 flat. I think it's super good, super tasty. I'd drink it again. It is a bit much, so if I bought it again going forward, it's also worth pointing out this was pretty uh, fairly priced. I'd say this is a, a pretty affordable 16-ounce uh, can, um, and it's readily readily available in Chico, which was a, a plus as well. We got it at Spike's Bottle Shop, and um, if I got it again, I'd just make a point of opening it when I had people to share it with, but that's not even necessarily something to dock too many points for. So I, I enjoyed a lot the mouthfeel ratio to the alcohol throws me a little bit but for the most part dude i super super dig it well all right it's a seven from max a 7.5 for me that's straw barb nice puff tart yeah if you want to find uh the brewing project you can find them on instagram at the brewing project project is spelled p-r-o-j-e-k-t so check them out there if you want you can learn more about all of their beers and they have a hard seltzer program and i believe you can even order beers from their website so if this sort of thing sounds interesting to you and maybe you don't live in chico or don't have a bottle shop with this beer in stock you might be able to get it just by uh, reaching out to them or maybe reach out to us and we can work something out uh, but in the meantime, you have been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, maybe on a Thursday on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you do get a chance to try this or any beers from the project, the brewing project, excuse me, we do want to know what you think. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, if you post a cute picture of yourself drinking this on the old MySpace grams, tag us at Fresh Hop Cinema. Please email us at fhccast.com uh, if you are into it or if you're enjoying the show. Uh, or if you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, tell us about it. Yeah. Brag. You've done good. Laud your exploits <laughs> with us. All right. You're about to hear a trailer for Power of the Dog, this week's movie. Don't worry. There's no spoilers in the segment coming up. Max, roll that trailer. 25 years since our first run together. 1900 and nothing. It's a long time. What you doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvelous, Rose. We were married someday. I did, sir. Well, Brother Phil?
Open up the gate. Let him out. You sure he's not ready? Go on. Let him out. It's just a man, Peter. Only another man. <laughs> Man was made by patience and the odds against him. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? Peter! If I did not save her. some place out here, Pete. Unless you get in the swing of things. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft, beer, and film, possibly on a Thursday evening on KZFR 90.1 FM. Subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear this discussion in its entirety. It'll be available tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. on all podcast platforms. And as a reminder, what you just heard was a trailer for The Power of the Dog, in which a domineering rancher responds with mocking cruelty when his brother brings home a new wife and her son until the unexpected comes to pass. That's right. That domineering rancher, almost said dominating, uh, was Benedict Cumberbatch playing Phil Burbank. The wife in this scenario is played by Kristen Dunst, and she plays Rose Gordon. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's brother is played by Jesse Plemons. He's playing George Burbank. And Rose has a son whose name is Peter Gordon, and he's played by Cody Smith-McPhee. Did you say Kristen or Kirsten? Kirsten. Still can't, are you saying Kirsten? Yeah, her name's Kirsten Dunst. No, it's Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten. Kirsten. <laughs> Kirsten. Yeah, I are. Kirsten Dunst. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, tell me more about the movie. Give me a release date, all uh, that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, it was directed by Jane Campion, mm-hmm. uh, as well as she wrote the screenplay. It was based on The Power of the Dog, I believe a 1967 book by Thomas Savage. Sure. Uh, and this came out in the United States, wide release on Netflix, November 17th of this year. It runs 126 minutes, and it was filmed all over the place. A lot of filming in New Zealand. Uh, very yeah. beautiful movie. Yeah, it takes place in it takes place in Montana in the in the early 1900s and sort of yeah as the the very short description I chose sort of points out it's a it's a, we'll get more into the characters this movie is seemingly all about sort of character interactions and and um, relationships and we'll get into talks about all sorts of themes it deals with but first and foremost Johnny Summers um, what did you what did you think of Power of the Dog in general well I think it was a very heady movie all these characters uh, while appearing gruff on the exterior at first glance uh, become very involved and nuanced in a lot of ways not all of them but our main characters definitely do have some depth to them it is a slow burn of a movie that requires a bit of patience at least it did for me Mm. Uh, it has a very simmering feeling it feels like a master class in uh, you know, men of a certain era sure. avoiding their emotions uh, and manifesting that in various ways. Mm. It was interesting. It had a fairly linear plot with some uh, surprises at the end, which we'll get into in the danger zone. Sure, uh, It was beautiful to look at. I feel like a lot of the interactions early in the movie left a lot to be desired for mm. me. It was very... 
it felt very tertiary and like they weren't talking enough. And when they were talking, their interactions didn't quite make sense. And that gets resolved a little bit for me later on in the movie. But for the most part, like the first act of this movie left me wanting a bit more. It relied a little bit heavily on scenery and, and um, very vague and brief interactions. Um, I know this movie is in talks for a lot of awards already. Sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely a strong performance by Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to watch him in a role that's less than lovable, uh, but I think yeah. he executes it really well. I mean, one thing that I kept thinking throughout this movie was, my God, this man has range. I mean, he's not just Dr. Strange. He's, he's Dr. Uh, range. Lo- he's Dr. Range. That's it. That's his <laughs> new name. He's Dr. Range. He can do whatever. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been in a wide variety of films going all the way from you know Marvel cheese to some really involved dramatic roles and it's nice to see him take a role like this with you know the next doctor strange movie coming out next year oh right it's kind of one of those situations where maybe you know he does those to pay the bills so he can accept passion projects like this uh it was like i said beautiful to look at i loved the scenery i love anytime you can get horses involved in a movie i'm a fan especially you know harken back to the rider directed by chloe zhao yeah just just Something about the relationship between people of that time and horses was pretty, pretty majestic. Um, overall, did this movie work for me? I think I'm pretty lukewarm on it, if I'm being okay. perfectly honest. It was very simmery. It was very horny in places, let's horny. say. Horny, okay. Yeah, it, it played as horny to me quite a bit. Um, it was well acted, but it was a little bit of a tough watch, not just content wise but honestly it, it got a little long mm. in the tooth in a lot of places for me uh and so, like i said some of those interactions weren't quite as satisfying so i'm pretty pretty lukewarm on this i'm really curious what your critical eye and mind thought of this you've watched it obviously i assume uh what what do you think yeah i kind of want to go a little bit off of what you were saying there because for me it was also not i don't i won't go so far as to call it boring in the beginning this film is told in a five-act structure which is broken down by by roman numerals that pop up on the screen and really i don't feel like i got invested emotionally until about the third one and i could probably extend something of a critical olive branch to that and say like that's sort of par for the course of the the type of character development we're getting anyways is like on their surface these these uh you know frontier men are very gruff and sort of stoic and reserved and keep everything close to the vest kind of thing and as we get to know certain ones of them that starts to open up and I also kind of appreciated the the slowness and like the, the getting to sit in some of those landscapes and take in the cinematography. So I don't uh, necessarily think that the 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 pace bothered me, though I agree with you. It is pretty draggy, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, dude, I think this is great. Like, I don't I don't love Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I like Doctor Strange. Obviously, we covered him uh, last week in in the Spider Man movie, and he's not great for me in that role. Like, he's usually and even the Sherlock stuff doesn't work. He's good at doing like the smartest guy in the room thing, but it never strikes me as sort of an endearing guy. Like not a dude I'd want to hang out with or be friends with. And weirdly enough, his character in this, as you start to understand the character more seems even somehow like more endearing in a way. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I was really pleasantly surprised. I didn't know exactly what to expect from this movie. So when it became more of a character study and and a commentary on sort of toxic masculinity, and there's even a point where, 
uh, Phil Benedict Cumberbatch's character says of uh, another generation that the men were men were real men back then, and like all of us watching are like, you seem like the guy that people are referring to when they say things like that. So for you to say that um, is very interesting. And I, there's a lot to be said about sort of looking back on people that came before you and, and sort of standards we hold ourselves to in terms of being men and all, all that kind of stuff, which I found really, really uh, uh, propelling. I, I'm interested in sort of the commentary on what it means to be masculine. And you bet that comes into play as this movie progresses. I think performances all around the board are really good. I love Jesse Plemons. I think he's great in just about everything. There's a, there's a particular scene in a carriage in this movie that harkened back to uh, a film that we covered. I think it was last year, but who knows these days? Um, I'm thinking of ending things. It was a Charlie Kaufman mm. movie with Jesse mm -hmm. Plemons and um, 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 Jesse. I think it's another Jesse. I'll think of her name in a minute. Um, but ever since that movie, I, I just love what he does. And I, I just think he, I think he kills it here. He gets to play sort of a very tender, sort of subdued, well-dressed, kind of sticks out on the frontier like a sore thumb kind of guy, uh, mm -hmm. which is a guy that I kind of relate to personally. Like I sort of appreciate that sort of, uh, you know, uh, spectrum of, of a, you know, a rough and tumble man, but also like a well-dressed gentleman. I like both of that those things. Um, and, yeah, absolutely. And, and the tension between those two brothers because of how they are as people uh, is is really fascinating to me and that dynamic. And then as that sort of gets deconstructed, sort of look at some of the, uh, or looking at some of the, um, oh, I don't know the right turn of phrase. Like, you know that thing where like you're criticizing somebody, but you're actually just criticizing yourself? And you're mm -hmm. just projecting your, maybe projecting is what I'm looking for. Um, yep. All of that makes for very fun character studies for me. So I think in general, I didn't love this movie either. I wasn't bored by it ever. It didn't run too long. I did like it a lot. I thought performances were great. I'd like to watch it again, knowing what I know now, because things do sort of shift a little bit in the last 40 minutes. But I liked mm -hmm. it. I agree. Yeah, I liked it, didn't love it. Very lukewarm on it. I do have one massive gripe. Okay. And I'm curious if you could guess what it is. Um. Mm, no. I mean, if you give me a clue, I could probably do it. Um, it is the absolute criminal lack of utilization of one Thomason McKenzie, who was oh, sure. apparently just an extra I don't get, in this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's basically an A-lister now, in my opinion. Yeah. And for her to just play an extra, I'm like, the moment her character was introduced, I'm like, oh, sick. Thomason McKenzie's in the rest of this movie now, right? Dude, when she no. came on screen, it was it was so so sort of subdued and in the background. I was like, "Is that Thomason McKenzie?" <laughs> yeah, like I, I like, kind oh, of okay. recognized her voice a little bit, yeah. but then she actually got like a couple lines, and she was the focal point of maybe mm. one point five scenes. Yes, and then just disappeared. I mean, she was literally an extra in this movie, and that bums me out. I would have loved to seen her play a bigger part. Yo, I remember thinking, I was like, "Man, I wonder what this character is going to do in the in the grand scheme of the plot. Like, what's <laughs> what's what's that going to matter about? What's she going to do? Nothing. And, and just nothing really. But I don't know. Like, I, I think it, you'd be hard pressed as a as an actor, especially one of her age, and being a lady, to turn down a Jane Campion movie. Um, and I'm not I'm not an expert on Campion films or anything, but um, she's been making them for quite a while, and they all, always tend to deal with, um, in, in some respect, feminism and 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 the plight of, of society in particular with women. And I, I could see that casting director approaching Mackenzie and being like, Hey, do you want to, you know, be in a few scenes in a Jane Campion movie? And she'd be like, I mean, yeah, for sure. Hmm. Why not? Interesting. Yeah. I, I just love her and I, I want her to be the star of every movie. So yeah. it bummed me out that she was just faded into the background. I wanted more from her, but if the plot didn't call for it and that's the role she accepted, I'll allow it, but still, yeah. in my heart of heart, it's it makes me sad. That seems probably fair. Can we talk a little bit briefly about um, 
the Bronco Henry character, which is not somebody we ever meet, is just sort of alluded to. Can we get into that sort of who that guy is and maybe how it affects some of the characters? Or do you think that's even getting into too much? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, it was, you know, these two brothers ended up on a ranch when they were very young. They cover that very early in the film and mm-hmm. they were taught the ways of, of, of ranching the yeah. of the cowboy by this guy named Bronco Henry. Well, I kept wanting to call Buffalo Bill throughout I the did, movie. Dude, I did that at was, least. Actually, I said Cherokee Bill because I just watched The Heart of They Fall again. But, you know, same mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. But they were taught the ways of the West or the Central North, as Montana would sure, be, sure. Um, by Bronco Henry. Bronco Bill I Henry. Bro- <laughs> I almost said Bronco Bill again. Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, he was pivotal to, you know, teaching them how to ride horses, how to survive, hunt be ranchers because essentially they are just cattle farmers but that entails a significant amount of ranch and outdoor work you know not just it's not just riding a horse and and herding cows you know you're processing animals you're hunting to survive you're preparing for winter and so this this person that we actually never see on screen was pivotal to launch these two main characters on their path in life as ranchers and it's interesting to see the polarity between the two brothers and how that influence definitely sent them in two different directions where like Benedict right. Cumberbatch is pretty much braggadocious in this film about being stinky, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and we, and then we have uh, Jesse Plemons character that, like you said, is very buttoned down, mm-hmm. more presentable, proper bathes regularly, things like that. But also like just in their personalities, the, the gruffness yeah. really stuck with one, and not with the other, but it was interesting that they had this kind of origin story that was only alluded to in the past tense. Do you like that they didn't do any flashbacks? Or- uh, dude, yes. I feel like this movie okay. could have been so bogged down in the hands of a different director that would just lean on some of that nostalgia. So yeah, I think that was awesome. The thing that, when you think about Phil's, the Cumberbatch character, like this, if you step back and look at him objectively, it's almost like he's he's like a kid trying to do what he thinks a cowboy would do, like what he might remember from Bronco Henry, yeah. like, and just trying to emulate that. And the more he talks about this character, the more you realize they had, a, they had like definitely a special type of relationship that wasn't just like, he taught me how to ride horses and hunt. Like there's some really tender moments he describes and um, that gets into sort of more than I want to talk about now. But I love that, that counterpoint of, of the, gr- or the feeling like you have to be a gruff cowboy in a world that is in his eyes, forcing him to be that way. Even mm-hmm. though all around him, you have his brother and then you have um, Peter the kid who is, is um, not his name, but that sounds like a Western name too. Peter, the kid, um, <laughs> the, the, the young man, Peter played by Cody Smith McPhee, who is not at all meant for that world. He's into poetry and flowers and is ostensibly probably to be a surgeon. Yeah. Like just doesn't fit in and, and doesn't feel like hiding it. But for everybody else, it like seems like a world that you have to sort of suppress any of that. And that gets explored in a way that I found a little heartbreaking, but also at times um, hopeful. Uh, mm. and, and then that changes from time to time as the plot progresses. So I'll just stop there, but I like exploring sort of the ideas of, you know, smothering who you really are in an effort to sort of fit into a world and, and then maybe pushing back against that to some extent and what that does to your identity. I think that's fascinating stuff. Yeah. And Phil's character in this movie was putting that on so hard. And to give a little context yes. to people that haven't seen this movie, it was set in 1925. So yeah. there were cars, there was running water like there was a bath in the house you know so it was very obvious that he was holding fast to his preconceived notions about manhood and like the idea like you said the idea of what this cowboy life is 
then you go into their basically mansion in Montana right, right. where they have servants Butlers. and a dining room table. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you're definitely like stuck in the past in a lot of ways. I mean, for sure. it almost seemed like at some point that character's not mental development because it's alluded to later in the film that he has a degree from Harvard. Mm, yeah, he's um, super bright. But yeah. his his development... His emotional development. Emotional development. And what he's like stuck at a time period maybe where his life was the best and he was happiest and he likes it and he wants to be dirty and he wants to be a cowboy and that's who he is. Like that's his whole identity and he leans into it super hard. Uh, and it's fascinating, uh, without spoilers, I will say it's fascinating to find out more about him and his motivation for kind of maybe possibly being stuck in that emotional place. Yeah, I think that's pretty well said, man. For now, let's give it a rating. Power of the Dog, out of 10. Johnny Summers, what you got? Out of 10, for me, it felt like, I'm going to say 7.2. It's pretty good. All right, 7.2. For me, it is an 8. I'm really looking forward to revisiting this one. I think it would benefit quite a lot from a rewatch. But in the meantime... Once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, maybe on KZFR 90.1 FM. The Power of the Dog is currently streaming on Netflix, so if you get the chance to watch it and you got thoughts of your own, find us on social media, again, at Fresh Hop Cinema, or send us a well-worded email to fhccast.gmail.com. That's right. We don't accept illiterate emails. Mm-mm. Or head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com, for film reviews, beer reviews, and podcast episodes dating all the way back to 2016 when we started. To our KZFR listeners, if you want to hear the rest of today's conversation, which includes spoilers for The Power of the Dog, a review of our second beer from The Brewing Project, plus the unpredictable fan favorite segment, Hot and Bothered, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema. To those of you already listening to the podcast... We'll be right back to talk spoilers in the danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Hey, welcome to the danger zone. This is the part of the show where we assume that anybody listening at this point has either seen the power of the dog or has not seen it and does not care if we spoil it, which we absolutely are about to do. Um, it's, a, it's a movie full of potential spoilers, and I don't know exactly how we, we want to kick this off. I'm pulling up um, a note, a little one of those little note pages on my phone because I was sort of taking sort of stream of consciousness notes while I was um, watching this movie. Um, And the only thing I've mentioned so far is that scene between Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst about 30 minutes in that gives off those I'm thinking of ending things vibes. Mm -hmm. So we can go anywhere you want, my friend. I don't care. How do you want to start this? Well, I mean, there's really only one spoiler. (laughs) So uh, it it really boils down to when the movie shifts gears, when we learn Phil's like real motivation and kind of, you know, his underlying drive and personality trait, which is that he is, uh, let's say gay. No, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could be bi. We don't know. I'm not going to assume. There's no evidence to suggest that he is interested in women at all. At all. Yeah, no. Uh, But yeah, and that he had uh, an intimate and very deep connection and relationship with Bronco here Bill? we go again. Bronco yeah, Henry. Bronco Henry. <laughs> Every time. Bronco Henry. Yeah, it was it was great. I mean, like it's sort of hinted at. Like there's a scene, I wrote this in my notes. There's a scene in the movie where he's riding a horse fully dressed through through this creek, and there's all these guys naked bathing, and he's just like, he's trying to be so straight. He's like riding through, like it just looks like a guy that's trying to come off as straight and like not sparing a glance for these men in the river and just like, I'm the straightest cowboy ever. And it's all to the, this is the point that like, he's just sort of masquerading as what he thinks a macho cowboy is supposed to be. 
Yeah, when in reality, a real macho cowboy would be naked in the river, splish splashing. Totally. Yeah. I also wrote minutes. I could go the next twenty Marvel movies without watching Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange scrub his nether regions with mud. Yeah, that was aggressively. Um, aggressively, I've heard of mud baths, and sure. those looked, you know, relaxing. And this looked uh, aggressive and abrasive. Yeah, for sure. So I think I think when that moment becomes clear, it's it's sort of let on slowly over time. And then the moment it sort of is spoken is when he's telling Peter, Bronco Henry saved my life. You know, we were freezing and we spent the night body to body um, in like a sleeping bag or something and we kept each other warm. And then Peter's like, were you naked? naked? Yeah. And then there's this really like very, very, I was thinking this movie's almost like, like call me by your name for cowboys. I was getting... I was getting big peach vibes. Yeah, but it isn't cigarette. because I know. But that's the the crazy part is that Peter is just playing him the whole time. Yep. Which I actually didn't see coming. Like you're very wary of of, of Phil's character because he spends most of the first half of the movie being very homophobic, very berating, basically awful towards Peter. Sort of the 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 leader of the gang that's making fun of him all the time. And at yeah, one point, calls him Nancy. Yeah, so many times he flips the switch and is like, "All right." Peter, you're going to have to, you know, learn to fit in around here. Come spend some time with me. And the soundtrack throughout this entire thing is just so uncomfortable and uneasy and tense. So in ominous, like I, I was keeping my guard up so long. I was like, don't trust this guy. Don't trust Phil. Peter, you're going to get something. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, like Phil does seem to warm up to Peter and like is maybe sort of accepting parts of himself that he wasn't able to around these other men. And it starts feeling really genuine. And then that's when you realize, oh no, like Peter is just going to kill him to protect his mother. Mm -hmm. Which he did. Which he did. Um, and maybe it was because I'm dumb or something, but I didn't even realize that's what happened. They even showed you with his open wound hand working on that infected rawhide, diseased yeah. rawhide. Like I didn't and know until after he was dead when his brother, Jesse Plemons' character was like, he never touched animals with diseases. And then I was like, aha, it was Peter. But it took me that long. Because like I had my guard up for so long, then I finally let it down. I was like, this could be a sweet moment with the cigarette and their bonding. That I I completely just missed it. He would have been able to kill me too. Not a problem. Right. Yeah. No. And when in fact he was giving essentially a dead man his last cigarette, it was so ominous looking back on yeah. it. Like the whole time when he's making that rope in that last scene with Peter and Phil together, I'm just wondering. Like you said, the music it had like someone's about to get like violently assaulted and or murdered. Right. Like somebody's about to get dead, and I'm fucking worried about Peter because he's real nice, totally, and he seemed naive and just like very finding his place in the world. Nah, he's a serial killer, dude, he's a psychopath. Yeah, it's like you thinking he's the Timothy Chalamet character from Call Me by Your Name, when in reality he's like the Barry Kilgan character from The Killing of a Sacred Deer or something. Like, do you remember that much? Have you seen that? No. Yo, you got to see it. Uh, okay. Very unsettling role. But um, yeah, like it's so just a, a, not maniacal, like a a very devious turn. Like you see him giving him that cigarette and he's got like a little, like almost seductive grin, but it's really an evil grin. Looking back, you're like he's he knows his plan's working. Yeah. And it, it was that grin that he was just reveling in the fact he's I like, know. I gotcha. It's so gotcha. evil. But it's not gotcha. like, I don't know, man. At what point, like, there was a point where I was like in my brain, Phil's character, unforgivable. He's probably done some terrible mm -hmm. things and, and maybe a bunch that we haven't seen on screen. But at the very least, he's been terrible to Kirsten Dunn's character, to Peter, to everybody basically, including his own brother. Like, I'm not rooting for that character at this point. So yeah. when Peter like just sets this plan in motion, like 
you kind of get it. But then by the end, I'm like, oh, like part of me is like, oh, that sucks. But then I'm like, no, I think he probably deserved it. But but it's not his fault. He was like suppressed by macho Western toxic masculinity stuff. He's, and he tried to do his best towards the end. But maybe it's too late. Maybe it's too late. Maybe that's the message. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It's tough because, you know, he should have been more compassionate to everyone in the movie. Like he's terrible to his brother the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. So it's like you don't want to root for him. And he has this mini redemption arc. Mm -hmm. But it's like, like you said, it's a little too little too late for him as a character, obviously, because he gets offed. But I don't know. Like it shows his humanity a little bit before his life is extinguished. So that was cool. uh, Yeah. Just because, you know, that is a complex character with with many, many facets. Totally. and, And a lot of suppressed things that never got to come to light. And you know, maybe in a different era, a character like that would have flourished. But in this, the era and the setting, and I think they said that this book was based uh, or written in like the '60s. I want to say '67. The the 1960s. Um, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Which uh, you can fact check me on that if you want. But I vaguely remember reading that in my research that this was based on a 1967 uh, Western novel. And even going back to you know the mid to late '60s, that was really. Still not a great time to be gay. I mean, yeah, up until probably what the last twenty years, has I, it really it's been... even arguable. Like now is in a lot of places still not great, and also sixty seven. Well done, thank you. Steel trap for a brain, right here. That's what sobriety <laughs> for the last two weeks. Oh yeah, been, baby. good for you, man. Yeah. Uh, so it was interesting to see it written. You know, uh, nineteen early nineteen hundreds gay cowboy story written. In the 60s, yeah. you know, still from a perspective of all that being very suppressed and very frowned upon. So, I mean, there's lots of interesting perspectives, uh, fascinating perspectives, really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about this whole story. And it gives it a different light knowing when the, the book was written. I wonder what this book would be like if it was written today. But for the time period it was written in, it was in really really in-depth look at at the damage that suppression and repression and oppression and all the pressures sure what what that can do to a man or a person sure of course i you know the other thing i was thinking about is is i'm just feeling dumber and dumber the more i reflect on this movie because it's basically laid out for us the fact that peter <laughs> is going to like probably do something horrible like there's all this talk about cows getting anthrax which i kept in my brain just for just ignored that. I was like, isn't anthrax a powder? What is? And then I started thinking about airplanes <laughs> and I didn't really, like I didn't, I just stopped thinking about it and they really beat us up. They're like anthrax, anthrax, cows in the hills, disease, anthrax. Then at one point, Peter's like cutting into a steer. He just finds dead on the trail. And I'm like- With gloves on. Yes. And I'm like, well, he's just into dead animals because it's been shown like, like he's kind of into dead stuff. He's like the he's like Charlie from Hereditary, where he's just well, like he's fascinated. training to be a he's training to be a surgeon. Oh, so that's he's right. Having to dissect animals. I mean, it wasn't you know it could be a guise for nefarious intent, but it was justifiable given his career ambitions. Right. Which is let's say that's why I didn't notice it. Not because I was thinking sure. about powder on airplanes. Yeah. Like, but the more I think about it, I was like, yep, there's all the evidence right there. I should not have been surprised by this, and I still somehow was. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of got me too. I mean, I think there was a little bit of premonition just mm-hmm. because if you go back and rewatch this movie, the very first line of dialogue is Peter saying, I had to do what I had to do to protect my mom or something to that yeah, effect. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, we had no idea who Peter even was. That character wasn't introduced yeah. for, you know, 30 minutes into the movie, probably. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't clear who was narrating at that point. 
Yeah, uh, I think the line yeah, was in the trailer. I think the line was something like, "Like, what kind of man would I be if I don't protect my mother?" Is that the one you're thinking? No, of? it was the it was the first line in the movie during the opening credits. But it's not the one I just said because which was also in the trailer. I have never seen a trailer for this movie. I just know what was at the beginning during the opening credits. I'm pretty sure the line was, "What kind of man would I be if I didn't protect my mother?" That could have been what he said. Yeah. I don't remember it verbatim, but it was something to that effect. And yeah. it definitely it was foreshadowing something. Just the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it was maybe it was there the whole time, and we were just, I mean, I was looking for all kinds of things, and maybe I just overthought this movie. I don't think that's possible. I think this is this is a great movie for this sort of over, over, overthinking. Feels like it's got a negative connotation, but this, this sort of uh, d- dissection, if you will. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the other brilliant turn that happens is you do, or I did at least, begin to root, not not against, if, if, if the two sort of, responsible adult figures in Peter's life at this point are Phil and his mother. I started sort of rooting against his mom because she has this drinking habit that came out again and she's by all accounts becoming a worse mother and he's finding some some guidance in this character Phil and I think the fact that Jane Campion was able to sort of shift my loyalties in a rather short amount of time was great and then it was still like pulled the rug out from under me I was like oh yeah wait no like no it's his mom like this is why it's all happening and of course that makes sense and nobody's good completely or bad completely like they're human beings they are great characters for that reason i think absolutely and it makes me want to dive deeper into campion's backlog i don't think i've seen any of her other movies i would have to look it up i wonder if you've seen the piano that's that's i think one of the more popular ones also quick shout out to one of my favorite movie podcasts film spotting they did a whole um what they call their overviews which is um they dissect an entire director a director's entire work and they just did jane campion uh in, okay. in order to prep for this so if you wanted to go and watch those movies those two co-hosts are very very intelligent well-spoken i'm sure they have great things to say about all of those movies Interesting. Okay. I might have to look into that. Um, anything else you want to talk about with the power of the dog that we haven't already touched on? Uh, just one quick thing about Jane Campion that I just learned that mm. is fascinating. Sure. Uh, she was only the second woman ever to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director. Yeah, she was. Uh, I can't. What, what movie was that? Uh, uh, both of these achievements came for The Piano. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I knew that somewhere uh, in my brain. And that came out in 93. Yeah. She's been cranking them oh. out since then pretty regularly, I think. Interesting. I got to look into this. Yeah. Um, okay. So then final thoughts. Um, it's on Netflix. I, I think I'm going to go back and watch it at some point here. I've got a pretty, pretty thick stack of homework for 2021 movies. I think I have like 20, uh, 24 left or something like that. 23. Jeez. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to get to a rewatch of this anytime soon. But when I do, I, I will greatly appreciate it, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a good one to recommend for people that like kind of, you know, the slow burn thinker period piece. It was a very unique movie, but I like it. I see it definitely being in the running for some awards this year. Makes sense. Yeah. You ready for uh, another beer? Yes, sir. I am. Or the splash of the one that I can have. All right, man. Well, we are back in the saddle and we have uh, sauntered, nay, galloped our way back to Wisconsin for (laughs) beer number two. I don't know how you (laughs) saunter on a horse. (laughs) And you snuck in the word nay. God, you got horse puns on horse you like puns, that? bro. I wish did you I, I wish realize I, you did that? Oh, yeah. I was so caught up in the pun. I forgot that sauntering is not a, a thing a horse does. They they I canter. Mean, horse, they can canter. What does saunter even mean? It's like, I feel like it's like a swaggy walk. Yeah. It's like Clint Eastwood walking into a bar with two swinging doors. And, okay, cool. Yeah. Saunter. Yeah. yeah that's, the spurs. Cha-ching. What would a horse? Ching. I guess it, I guess you could picture just a horse, like a, like a BoJack Horseman sort of situation, walking in like that. I'm just I'm just picturing a like a horse pimp walking right now, and it's 
<laughs> is he up on his back two legs or, or, or four? I don't like on the back two legs freaks me out. I don't like that image, actually. Never mind. Yeah, because the legs are too long How are they going to bend like that? Yeah. yeah, and yeah then, like, punch, it's got to yeah. be all fours. The point is, <laughs> we're back in Wisconsin, however we got there, and we're drinking beer number two. Uh, from the Brewing Project. And this is another Puff Tart XL this time. Um, and actually, that's all this one is called. This one is not called Strahubarb. This one's just called Puff Tart XL with mango, pineapple, and dragon fruit. More specifically, uh, they call it an Imperial Sour Ale with mango, pineapple, dragon fruit, and marshmallow flavoring. Uh, so two in a row there. And it's 9% this time, not 5.1. And this is the one that I've had before weeks and weeks ago. So okay, that's what I have. Do you remember it enough to say whether you liked it, or is, are you basically going in blind to this? I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I liked it. It's um, if I remember right, I've just opened my can, but if I remember right, um, it's it's right up the alley of the first one, but much bigger. Not necessarily mm. just definitely alcohol wise, but also I think flavor wise and and mouthfeel for sure. But we can find out here in a second. Have you poured yours? Yeah. What you looking? What you what you what you looking well, at? What you working with? Well, it smells amazing. I just had my little, you know, half ounce to an ounce. Yep. And um, <clears throat> that is robust. My God. <laughs> he clears his throat aggressively. Yeah. I mean, you can really taste the alcohol in that. Like, this beer tastes strong. Oh, yeah, it does, like, it, doesn't it? Oh, wow. It tastes it tastes so strong. Like, you could have told me that this was a liqueur of some kind, oh, and I probably would have believed you. Um, yeah, this has got some punch to it. You taste every bit of that 9%. I love the nose on it, though. It's very, uh, my, not Mai Tai, uh, Pina Colada. I get a ton of pineapple, and that vanilla from the marshmallows almost makes it smell like Malibu rum yes. to me. Oh, nice. Uh, so big Malibu rum notes, which that's going to be a huge plus for a lot of people. Yep. Uh, you know, I myself like Malibu in like a nice, you know, tropical cocktail. It adds... A lovely layer of sweetness, and that coconut note is just very pleasant. And I'm surprised that there's. Did you say there is coconut? There's not coconut nope, in this. But I could see that being very nice in an in an addition. Wow, I'm having a tough time today. In an addition or an adjunct in this beer. Yeah, I mean, it almost achieves that just with the combination of pineapple and vanilla. Those two things together usually taste really good. I mean, anything that kind of cuts down the the bristly. Yes. Uh, the acidity of a pineapple juice mm. like vanilla just smooths it out gives you kind of that orange creamsicle but with those tropical notes this is like a tropical creamsicle that's totally the vibe i'm getting yeah um the mango is also not hiding too well if it's trying to it's um very mangoey i'd say more so than pineapple for for this this critic's mouth um it's very tart which again it's in the name makes sense but this one is much more acidic than than the first beer much more. And that's going to be a stylistic preference for people. For me, that is foreshadowing some pretty intense heartburn. Yeah. And the tartness coupled with the kind of alcohol heat or just the overall flavor of alcohol. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Makes this beer significantly less appealing to me than the first one. Yeah. Yeah. The difference is for me, and I've only had a couple sips, but I'm guessing it, it's it's sort of a pick your pick your. I don't know the phrase, pick, pick your dragon, whatever, pick the thing that you like the, or dislike the least. Like for the first beer, for me, it was too sweet and this one's going to mm -hmm. be too acidic. And I'm not sure if I would drink 16 ounces of either one, but yeah. I'm inclined to lean towards this one preferentially as opposed to you picking the first one. I think, I mean, 
drinkability wise, the first one hits me more enjoyably, but this one feels thinner, which I think actually yeah. makes the the mouthfeel and drinking experience a bit more enjoyable. But it's coupled with that alcohol and the tartness, and it's it's like a a musty tartness. You know, it's got the sweetness, but it's it's not as present. It's uh, hmm, it's an interesting drinking experience, but I really don't think I like it. Interesting how. Uh, interesting in that it's it makes you think about what's going on, and really you kind of have to think about whether you like it or not. It's thought provoking. All right, yes, yeah. complexity. Cool. Like, like it doesn't sound complex just on paper. Like it just sounds like it's going to be a fruit bomb. Yeah. Uh, but that tartness amplified really throws me for a loop. Like I, this beer could be sweeter, which is something I didn't think I would say about a beer from this brewery mm-hmm. after the first beer. Um, I was just assuming that they were all going to be ridiculously sweet and this one would just be higher ABV. But somewhere along the line, it went wonky. It got, yeah. you know, a lot stronger, but also it tastes... I, I don't like beers like this that taste strong. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I get sure. like a, a double IPA that's chewy or a big old triple IPA that's like 12%. And you're fine with it. I, I'm tasting that. I'm expecting yeah. it. But uh, uh, Puffed Heart... It shouldn't taste like alcohol. And I think with all these adjuncts, it surprises me. I mean, it could just be my palate changing in the last two weeks from not drinking alcohol. Does yeah. this taste like booze right. to you? <laughs> this is I very mean, strong. You, you've, you've, you've gone the other way and are probably drinking this, more than this usual. Tastes, so. This tastes like there's no alcohol in it. No, that's not true. No, of course it tastes uh, very, very much uh, the alcohol is present. It feels to me, though, I'm still struggling. Like I don't think this is... Uh, could be sweeter. I think the sweetness is there. It's just being overshadowed by the tartness. Like it feels like after mm. a few drinks, there's a little tiny person on the inside of my stomach with a giant pineapple unpeeled, just scraping it along my stomach lining, just like back and forth aggressively. Like he's trying to wipe the the memories of this off of my stomach's chalkboard. And it's just like burning in there. And it might be alcohol, but it also might be the acidity. Yeah, that's possible. That, it's like all that with, said, it's I, like I like with it. the mud. Yes, it's exactly like that. But I really dig it. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's a a sustainable beverage necessarily, but I'm liking what I've had so far. I think these flavors together are really great. I think a version of this beer could come out with like, um, like, what you know those little fruit stands where they do like chamoy and tahini and sort of traditionally Mexican like spicy sweet stuff. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know what those are called specifically, but I, I know exactly of which you speak, and I love them because I always have those little fried pinwheels yeah. of like styrofoam. That what are, are so those? Good. Yeah, I always thought I of that. Uh, you remember that? Of course you do. The movie Lion with Dev Patel, They his yeah. little brother's always asking him for jalebis, which are like, I don't even know what they are, but it comes out of a bottle and you drop it into oil and it like, and then it's like a little chip, and that's what those things make me think of for mm-hmm. literally nobody that cared about that. Okay, um, that's what I, I think can- of though. <laughs> Uh, the point is, I think this would be really good with like a tahini rim and chamoy or something. That sort of spiciness with the mango and the pineapple, I think, would be just delightful. I could see that. For me, I would cut this with like, uh, you know, six ounces of club Malibu. soda. Oh, okay. Uh, club soda, like over ice. And this would be like a nice little hot summer day, like spritzer type cocktail. You're going to go as far as to put in club soda, but not top it off with Malibu? Uh, you could. And I mean, it would definitely. You could. If you're doing that, you might as well go full cocktail with it. I think so. Like a, a shot of Kraken rum and then a Malibu float, slice of pineapple. That's a good day, top. man. That's- Give yourself an award. You just won, baby. 
you know, when I was supposed to go to Hawaii, but I didn't, this is like last summer and I got to the airport yeah. and then my COVID test didn't clear in time. So I literally just went through security. I had a beer that was like $15 at the airport bar and went home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I came home, since my family was in Hawaii, I sat in a wheelbarrow full of water and made Mai Tais. And I made, I use, you know, whatever you put in a Mai Tai, rum and mm-hmm. um, other things that Curacao. But what I would have preferred is just this beer. Sit on a hot summer day in a wheelbarrow full of ice water. That's that's a good day. That's a redneck ass vacation, but that's a good day. Yeah, it really is, but I like it. Let's give this beer an, uh, an out of 10 if you're ready for it. Out of 10, it's like a 5.8. Oh, that's pretty low. That's not pretty low. That's still a pretty decent rating, um, but it's lower yeah, it is. than I'm going to go. Um, justify your 5.8, would you, while I take one more sip? Yeah, just I already have heartburn, uh, and the flavor is too boozy. It's just... Uh, with all those adjuncts, the fact that they don't mask the booziness makes it just feel that much more prominent. And it's it's got a nice flavor. The acidity is too high for my taste. And the alcohol is too noteworthy. That was all very, very well spoken. I'm going to say it's an eight, actually. It's higher than I was expecting to go. But I think this beer is so fun. And it is very acidic. And it kind of hurts to drink. But it's super delicious. The alcohol content's fun. The can's fun. The whole experience is just fun. It's a light-hearted, fun drinking experience. And now that we're off of the KZFR radio waves, we can specify it was also five bucks, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. Yeah, super I think cheap. These were both five dollars, and that's a screaming deal. Like when we picked them out, we were pretty sure they were gonna be like eight or nine bucks each. Uh mm-hmm. just for such a specialized and labor-intensive style of beer. I think one that comes out, in my opinion, pretty good and is this affordable deserves relatively high marks. Yeah. And that's, that's completely fair. And the fact that the uh, 9% version uh, or beer, yep. I should say not version, yeah, yeah. Uh, was the same price. It wasn't, you know, eight or $9. It's pretty cool. Uh, I like that. Yes. It's, it's a brewery that's definitely worth a try. Like you said, they're fun beers. Uh, Super Bowl's coming up. These would be a blast to take to like a Super Bowl party and share with some of your friends and uh, try them out, you know, talk about them. These are great conversation beers. Totally. Uh, as proven by our conversation. Uh, these are beers again from the Brewing Project, P-R-O-J-E-K-T. They are available at Spikes. They're probably available elsewhere around town. Um, try them. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. In the meantime, Johnny Summers, Hot and Bothered. Yeah, boy. Hot and Bothered. Welcome to Hot and Bothered. That's when we talk about for any new listeners that don't know, what's got us really excited about this week in particular, or maybe a little bit bummed out, and we just lumped it all together and said, let's call it hot and bothered and ignore the sexual connotations that comes along with that phrase. Mm-hmm. So, or don't, whatever. It's hot and bothered. Do whatever you want. Welcome to it. L- lump it in, baby. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to go first. I got a bothered. Yeah, I got a bothered. Yep. And it's the movie uh, Don't Look Up. We talked about maybe covering it on last week's episode. We were like, we're going to maybe watch Don't Look Up. I did watch it. I I disliked it so much that I convinced Johnny not to watch it, at least for now. It's it's not hard to talk me out of watching a movie unless <laughs> right. I'm like super hard in the paint for it because I trust your opinion and we think a lot alike about movies sure. more often than not. Yes. And if you text me and you're like, bro, I watched the movie for this week and it was garbage. Can we watch anything else? Yeah, because I don't do this podcast to watch bad movies on purpose. Totally. So tell me why it sucked. Okay, well, so just a little briefly for people that don't know, it's it's a film that came out um, on Netflix. It was directed by Adam McKay, and it stars Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio and Meryl Streep and, and Rob Morgan's in it, Jonah Hill, Kate Blanchett's in it, Mark Rylance. There's like a ton. Timothy Chalamet, who I will die on this hill. He's the best part of this movie 
which maybe didn't even need to be said. That's probably obvious. So on, on paper, cast-wise, this movie should be fucking awesome. Even synopsis-wise, based on truly possible events, is what it says, two low-level astronomers, upon discovering that a meteor will strike the Earth in six months, go on a media tour to try to warn the world, but find an unreceptive and unbelieving populace. So, like... Clearly, some stuff could be linked to uh, our society today. There could be room for satire and commentary on how we can't come together over what is objectively factual. Um, and instead of sort of blathering on for a minute here aimlessly, I'll just read you what I wrote on Letterboxd with my uh, one and a half star review, which on this show would translate to a three out of ten. I said, I'm sure the comparison to Idiocracy has been made by many people before me. And it's a good comparison. This movie is a bit like Idiocracy combined with a film called The Hunt, which we covered, Johnny, and it came out a couple <laughs> oh, years ago, God. sprinkled yeah. with a dash of Steve Carell's Space Force, which is a, a Netflix show. Um, whatever. Don't Look Up is simultaneously less clever than it thinks it is and actually more emotional than it tries to be, particularly in the last 20 minutes, which sticks something of an existential landing, which is then undercut by this cheap like mid credit scene like it's all over the place tonally, and despite a couple legitimate chuckles, and here it is again, the fiery charisma of Timothy Chalamet. Uh, this is definitely a movie I will not be revisiting to the point that if I was gonna have time to revisit a movie, I'd probably just go watch The Power of the Dog again. Fair it's, enough. And did you say that that was from your Letterbox review? Yeah, yeah. Good job. I was gonna keep you accountable. And Thank say, you. If you. I wrote appreciate all that, that down. That was <laughs> the night I texted you. Was when I wrote that review. I was like, this feels good. Like I want to keep track of my thoughts. I texted Johnny saying, "Hey, like I have a goal for this year. Like try to." Check in with me, like if I'm logging movies on Letterboxd, because I want to. It's it's a nice exercise in sort of um, figuring out how I feel about a movie before we sit down and talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's always nice to write something out. Well, thanks for saving me from watching that. Like, I've found that people are pretty polarized on this. There's not a whole lot of like two and a half to three stars. There's a lot of like one or half stars and a lot of like five stars reviews. I mean, oh wow. And and I think it sort of comes down to one's personal tolerance for a one-dimensional uh, joke, basically. Because mm. the whole crux of the movie is like, there's a meteor coming for sure, so just look up and you can see it. And the slogan, don't look up, comes from a presidential campaign by by the president in the film, played by Meryl Streep, who's like convincing her, clearly like very aimed at like a MAGA crowd sort of vibe, like, just don't look up, the liberals want you to, to look up, but just look down, and it's so, they beat it to death. And mm. it's 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 funny, and I would have loved this as like a fifteen minute sketch, or like going to say this sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit that went too long. That's as complex as it gets, and they drag mm. it out. And there is a moment of nice conversation and and real like human pathos around a dinner table towards the end. And I think that is good enough. Like that mm -hmm. was good, but everything else is just dragged out and over the top and and cartoonish, and and it just can't figure out what it wants to be some of those times. And it's, it's just a bummer of a movie. And it's like two hours long, I think, uh, two hours and 23 minutes long. So just, uh, Whoa, save your, that's yeah, way too save long. Your, it's way too long. That's true. I didn't say how long it is. It's not like a 90 minute movie. It's two hours and 23 minutes. So skip Fuck it. That's you. my official endorsement to not watch that movie. No, something with that type of plot needs to be a tight 90 or I'm fucking out. Totally. Dog. Uh, very lastly on my, the hot side of things, I'm in Reno right now recording in my hotel room and I'm here with a band. There's a big sort of convention of dudes that I'm sure there's women too, but it's clearly a lot of dudes in cowboy hats that hunt bighorn sheep and they get together every year, apparently at the pepper mill. I've done this a couple times now and just, you know, talk about 
you know, shooting cheap and stuff, whatever that's like. Yeah. So I that's came their home base, right? With a few friends. Um, there's myself, um, my buddy Rob on drums, my buddy Ethan on bass, and my friend Webster on the keys. And we're playing, especially tonight, because it's like the first night they're all getting here. Just so much country music, just, just, mm. and some good and some a little bit pandery, but I think that's the nature of the beast. So, um, I will be on stage, um, checking the clock in about an hour and a half doing that. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Nice. Get that flannel out, you know, get ready to make some tips, baby. So that's a really good idea, Johnny, but we're actually not going for like the Southern sort of country. We're going for like a, like a, like a, almost like a Mumford and Sons sort of like folk, um, you know, alternative thing. Like I'm wearing a tucked in button up white shirt with a vest and like a, a wide brim hat and like suspenders, like that sort of look. Okay. You know like what I mean? hipster country. Yeah. Like Mumford and Sons or like the Lumineers kind of thing. That's what we're sort of aiming at. Because I don't want to be stuck playing like only Wagon Wheel. Like I want to also be able to play the Lumineers or Mumford and Sons. Yeah. You should for sure bust out your share cover to those Cowboys. I tried it. Tried it a couple nights ago. It did not work. <laughs> Damn it. There's, we tried Cindy Lauper. Um, the only thing, the only medicine these guys and gals want is is sweet caroline and florida georgia line and johnny cash and boy i tell you i'm gonna serve it up hot on a platter full of butter yeah you know you could you could delve into some older country you know if you know any yes. you know some willie nelson you could bust out the the merle haggards of the world yeah we got some Play merle some... haggard on there we got uh like like Am- not this is merle haggard but we we're also doing like amarillo by morning uh how i got to memphis which is one of my favorite tom t hall songs who's a country artist that's mm-hmm. a bit older and um, we're doing some hank williams george Strait. that kind of that's amarillo by morning um so like some legit old country too but we're also probably playing some like like kane brown and luke bryan and um you know more like stadium polished country that is just pop dressed up with a fiddle some Kane Brown, some Zach Brown, maybe some Sawyer Brown. We are doing some Zach Brown. I didn't know there was a Sawyer Brown, but also I love Zach Brown. Zach Brown is like one of my favorite actual country artists. He's great. Yeah, Zach Brown's dope. Sawyer Brown was really popular uh, when I was in like junior high, high school. Oh, okay. Yeah, they do that song. Uh, some girls don't like boys like me. I think you'll have to sing it. I'm not quite getting it. Oh, but some girls do. <laughs> I never heard it. Sorry. It's fine. You're not missing out. All well, right. that sounds like fun though. Go get that money, man. Thanks, dude. What's uh, what's going on in your life? Uh, well, as you know, it's a new year, uh, and unfortunately, I'm just the same me. Sure. I am still on my sci-fi shit, dog. I yeah. am going yeah. whole hog. I've been on, I think I talked about this like last January. I am on a journey to watch all of Star Trek by Stardate. God, I'm you're still real on this? Nerd. Still on that, dude. All right. uh, we have watched all of Star Trek Enterprise, the entire series. We have watched, we just finished the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery, and by star date, we are now on to the original series with Bill Shatner and Lenny Nimoy and all those great people. Uh, so we started that on, what, a week ago? And we're about uh-huh. half, not even halfway, because the first season of Star Trek has 30 hour-long episodes. Just the first season. That's a lot. That's insane. That's a lot. Uh, so I'm going to be doing this for the next six years, but sure. uh, it's going great. It's been fun. Star Trek Discovery was really, really, really good. And one of the most visually pleasing uh, reincarnations or reimaginings of Star Trek I've ever seen. It plays out very cinematically. I mean, it is on par with the newer Star Trek movies. Uh-huh. So if you're a casual fan that just wants something really gorgeous to look at with some amazing character development and Lots of cool stuff and cool ideas. Uh, I would recommend Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I am on to that. And we had to take a little break because the book of Fett is out. Right. For people that don't know. Uh, 
the Book of Fett is essentially the origin story, not origin story, but it basically picks up uh, in Star Wars, the Star Wars universe. Nice. It picks up off of essentially right after Boba Fett is tossed into the pit. I don't remember. I think it's the Sarlacc pit. That sounds uh, close, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, in I don't remember which Star Wars movie, but in Outside Job of the Hutt's Palace. Yeah. Uh, so it picks up from there and then just hits the ground running. Two episodes are out. I'm completely caught up. Looking forward to this week's. It is fantastic. If you're a fan of The Mandalorian, you will love it. If you're a fan of Boba Fett and Star Wars in general, you will love it. The whole series is just rife with practical effects. They're really sparing with the mm. CGI, which is fantastic. Uh, it holds true to the aesthetic of the original, well, the original sequels, yes. you know. Oh, okay. The, uh, <laughs> the, the 70s movies. One, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I get you. Yeah, four, five, and yeah. six. Yeah, it stays true to the, the, the aesthetic of those in that it's a lot of practical effects with costumes and all the set design looks really practical. Like, there hasn't been a ton of noticeable CGI. Obviously, there are some in spots, but for the most part, it's all real tactile practical effects, which I'm a huge fan of. So... I would say check it out. I'm super enthralled with it, and I can't wait. I am super annoyed in general by appointment-based television in this day and age. It feels really idiotic that they're releasing one a week, but it has me clamoring to tune into Disney Plus, and I right. haven't done that in since The Mandalorian, so that's something, but I don't know. I'm spoiled by binge-watch culture, and it really kills me having to wait for a week. Dude, I get that too. We could probably spend, maybe we should do that for Patreon one time and, and talk about sort of the, the pros and cons of, of what did you say, appointment-based TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I at one point, I don't know, like people got exposed to Game of Thrones that got exposed after it was all out and they could binge it. I think I think with a show that dense, and I'd be willing to guess the Book of Fett is the same way, like there's so much detail and so many things crammed into that hour that for me, I was, even though I might have, just instinctually gone and watched them all. Like I think being able to sit with them, maybe not for a whole week, but like a few days is really good, even though it's tricky to do and, and force yourself to do if everything's available at your fingertips. It, that self-control, that just that next episode, like it plays automatically. You don't have to push a button. Yeah. You just have to be a fat little consumer <laughs> and just sit there and not move and it will just be force fed into your eye holes. And it's great. I love it. Yeah. But I I I kind of see both sides of it because for one example that comes to mind for me is The Witcher. That oh, yeah. show is so dense. I almost wish that I could have spaced them out a little bit. Like that could be a show a la Game of Thrones that benefits from a little bit of time to sit with every episode. Yeah. But with that density, it's almost easier to just stay in it too. So you're like not remembering whose character did what with their yeah, brother. Right. So there's there's pros and cons to both, but it's frustrating having to wait, and I don't like it because I'm an impatient American sure. consumer. Damn it, dude! I think I think the other con that is is sort of tough to realize when you're in the midst of a of a show binge is the equivalent of like cramming before a test. Like you'll keep that information, and I'm specifically talking about The Witcher too because I just watched that whole season within a couple of days, and I realized upon starting season two that I don't really remember much of what happened in season one, partially because I binged that also. Mm. And like, so I liked The Witcher 2, but I don't think I'm going to retain a whole lot of it because it just got smashed into my brain so quickly 
Yeah. Which I, you know, you could be like, well, that's a, that's a pro because then you can go and re-experience it for, for like the first time kind of, mm-hmm. which maybe, but I don't know. The other side of that double-edged sword is that people put a lot of work into this sort of thing. And while I don't think the Witcher is particularly great, something like um, Game of Thrones up to like season six was that dense and great and deserved that sort of long-term space in my memory banks, I think. Yeah, that's fair. I know if we're going to dive into The Witcher season two, I either need to watch a really thorough, like hour long recap on YouTube or just watch the whole first season again. Right. Which, like you said, wouldn't be bad, but also I don't necessarily want to not waste my time, but it kind of feels like it because I'm going to remember most of every episode once I start watching them. It's tough. It's a weird situation. Where where Um, are you at with, with The Wheel of Time, by the way? Oh, I'm done. Yeah. We're waiting for the next season. Can we, yeah, real quick, how, how did that play out for you? I, I finished it also the other day. Um, you know, there's the show has a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues I have with the budget, the CGI, the overall aesthetics are less than pleasing. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of my problems are really with the world building. Yep. I love the character development. I, uh, it has pacing issues, too. Um, I think there's a lot of times in that series where months or maybe weeks go by and you have where no they're just idea on the road and it's just like they wake up the next day and they're at a place and i felt like for quest based fantasy you have to have the weight of the journey and the toll that it you takes. need trudging you yeah you gotta you gotta trudge you, you need lord of the rings you can't you can't just make a character dirty and expect me the viewer to empathize with them right uh you need to be a bit more in the muck and take more time so I think it could have benefited from, in some places, uh, a little bit slower pacing, which yeah. is odd for a fantasy series because usually the problem is quite the opposite. Yeah. But for that one, would have liked to have seen it spread out a little bit longer. There's so much content in those books, but I get it. You're making a show. It needs to be consumable. There's you know middle ground that has to be met. As a huge fantasy junkie, I love by default any series based on books that i've read uh unless it's absolutely terrible yeah i'm leaning towards being preferential to it just because it is a genre that's near and dear to my heart so i was super entertained by it i I love the universe of of robert jordan's book series and i think that the next season's going to be great hopefully they throw a little bit more budget at it and get Maybe some of the aesthetic issues down a little bit more because some of the CGI was just straight up cringy. Yeah. Uh, almost like B movie level cringe. The Trollocs? Um, the Trollocs were fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, a lot of the magic, the the channeling that's yeah. done yeah. felt really like really forced CGI. Like it didn't even look good. And I overlook a lot of that because I at its core love the show and love what it's doing. So I'll forgive that. I can acknowledge that it's not necessarily a great show, but I liked it and I think it's entertaining and really good. Yeah, I agree with basically all of that. The other and I'm I'm also with you. Like I can overlook most stuff because the character development is usually there and, and I've got sort of the long-term nostalgia for these characters in the books and whatever. But there's spoilers for um the end of the the first season of The Wheel of Time. Skip forward in your podcast app about one minute. That's your warning. Here it comes. <clears throat> There's that scene where like Nynaeve and Lan like spend the night together and probably have sex with each other. And this is not explained well enough. Like like the warder ASDI relationship is not like fully flushed out in this show, but mm. which is fine. But like so these two hook up and like the the like the Hollywood sort of loyalty thing is like 
I, I must go with Moraine now, but I'm loyal to you also. It's like, well, hang on just a second. Like maybe this happened on the road. Like maybe you guys spent way more time together, but like you're saying, Johnny, like we don't see any of that. Like we see one time she uses her magic and then he like protects her one time or something. And now they're soulmates. And it's like, you've been with Moraine for like decades. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't buy it. Like I've, and I feel like they're forcing some of these romantic relationships, particularly, yeah, the romantic relationships, like, like, like Rand and, um, 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 Egwene and, mm-hmm. and like the parent thing got thrown in like a weird love triangle, like, which was kind of suggested. And like, you could maybe read into that in the course of like four or five seasons, but it came to a head and he was like, do you both love her? It's like, all right, chill out. You guys, you don't have to have like cheesy romantic arcs just to make this a fantasy thing that we're all going to buy. We don't need that necessarily. Yeah. So hopefully that is resolved in like the pacing and writing just like pumps the brakes a little. It doesn't have to be all gas, no brakes for mass consumability. Yeah. You can, I think Game of Thrones laid the groundwork for mass consumption of really dense fantasy material and like yeah. really long game type character development where, you know, you might not see a character's full story arc over four or five seasons. Right. And then uh, you'll stick for six seasons and then they will just just throw everything just that you've learned out the window and be like, they're, ha, they're the same as they were in episode one, you dumbass. And then we're like, exactly. Oh, right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Have fun on Star but Wars. There, there has to be a worry in the mind of the creators of The Wheel of Time that they have to make this season count just to get another season. Yes. I mean, how many shows in the last few years have had one season and then we never see it again? Dude, I, well, I'm sure a ton. Yeah. It's too many. Uh, so I guess, you know, sacrifices had to be made and compromises and, and the writing had to be a little bit more, uh, easily digested in quick little pill form. But I I like long format fantasy series and hopefully this just keeps paving the way for us to get them. I know Amazon's developing the Lord of the Rings series, so fingers crossed that this isn't uh, a template that they're following. Because I don't need to see hobbits in fifth gear with Ugh. love stories. You know what I mean? Like, I know. If they give it the Wheel of Time treatment, it's going to be cringy and, and unwatchable. Uh, because that's yeah. dealing with a franchise that is very beloved that should not be trifled with. So you really have to be careful with those properties or you're going to just lose every single member of that Lord of the Rings fan base that was giving your show a chance. Here's Here's the other thing is like when you say lose the fans – there's no chance in hell that every Lord of the Rings fan is not going to watch that series from start to finish. Exactly. So, so like when you say lose the fans, like I don't like I don't think they care if like and when I'm saying they, I mean like big, you know, like media corporations. I don't know if people care if consumers like the stuff. They just need to get people to watch them. And you know, I think I think them like mass media just changing the look of Sonic the Hedgehog due to fan outcry oh, that's good taught point. us that they do care because buyers will buy and true fans of a series will not buy if you bastardize their favorite materials. I I really want to think that's true. And that's a good, you make a good argument. Like the Sonic thing is, but I think it's an anomaly. I don't know. Is it or did it set a precedent? Yeah, right. I, mean, I don't I'm know. Not, I'm not going to run out and buy any Wheel of Time merch, but I'll damn well go out and buy an old dusty copy of the first book and reread it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But you'll also watch season two. Yeah, I will, you know, but also with enough, you know, forums and social media, like the world is heard, whether we like it or not, as an individual or a hive mind fan base. 
And like it or not, fan bases have power if they speak with enough uh, direction that is unified with enough voices. I think studios kind of do have to pay attention. Yeah. I, who do you talk? Is this why people call senators? Who do I tell about this? Like, who do I who do I complain to if I don't like the Wheel of Time? Like, I can't call. I think Reddit. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Reddit. I Reddit does it. They have like a yeah. They probably have like a little home base where all those complaints come into, and they sort of make They've it into one a- big thread and push it out into the consumer, the the media company's buttholes. Yeah, like, I mean, that that's, where the, that's where the Sonic the Hedgehog movement started. I'm pretty sure Reddit yeah. has like a red rotary phone uh, <laughs> that they pick it up and then, hello, is this Hollywood? <laughs> yeah. Like once there's enough signatures on a petition, it gets through yep. to like the one guy that's like, ah, how are you? What do you need today? And then they send it to, yep. to Washington probably, I guess. Well, boys, we have to change it all. Reddit <laughs> has spoken. The votes are in. Mm, that's a, a scary but also kind of fun thought. Who knows? That's yeah, a very it's- idiocracy sort of world we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, ratings do have an effect in ratings and reviews. I mean, shows like The Witcher ended up getting reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Like they're in the public yeah. eye. They're being rated on a critical scale by mass amounts of fans. And if something's a flop, it doesn't get picked up again. So if you alienate a fan base of something that's cult-like as Lord of the Rings, you're going to have major problems and it'll never see the light of day for a season two. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like the way The Witcher ended. Did you? Are, I'm sorry. Did you watch season two or no? No, I haven't yet. I've been so consumed in science fiction. I have no time for anything else. But I need to. I, I want to get into it again. I don't have an opinion on, on season two then. Never mind. Watch it when you can. <laughs> I right. have no thoughts. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, this feels like a pretty long tangent. You feeling good? Yeah, I think we're about there time-wise. you got to get to work, son. That's true. Um, <laughs> all right. Next week, we're covering beers from a brewery called uh, 90, is it 903 Brewery Brewing? I think so. I the Googled one in this. Texas? Yes, the that one in Texas. Right. Um, we don't know what we're covering film-wise, guys. Love it's that. It's up in the air. It's a mystery. It is. Uh, no matter what you do, it is up in the air, so don't look up. Um, would have been a great segue if we were actually covering that movie. Could have been a fun little hint I just dropped in, but we're not because that mm-hmm. movie's uh, bad. So <laughs> uh, thanks to everybody on Patreon, of course, my sister Bailey Minardi, without whom the show would not be what it is. We appreciate the support from our friends at The Handlebar. Um, and that's Johnny Summers. What a, what a treat, my friend. This was great. Yeah, this was good. I'm glad we got to visit these beers. It was a fun little adventure, and uh, it was a really interesting movie. Good episode today. Take us out of here. All right. Well, that's Max Bernardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Remember, drink good beer, watch movies that make you happy, and always, most important, above all things, be good to each other. We love you, and we'll see you next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.